You guys ready for the Word of God? Okay, we're gonna, we've been talking about our mission statement and what we're called to, and Pastor Tom is going to share some things that God put on his heart, and so let's just, uh, let's just receive the Word of God. Amen. Father, thank you for Pastor Tom, and we just pray a blessing over him as he shares your Word in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Amen. I love it how uh, when we sing in Camp Grizzly and flip out, you know, like a third of the church just walks out, you know. What a blessing. That's what Proverbs says, you know. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full. And uh, we have a quiver full here at this church. Whether you did your part in procreating yet or not. You can help own the procreation of others. I need help. Anytime you want to babysit, you can come help my quiver. That would be wonderful. Amen. Well, like Eric said, um, today I'm going to talk about our mission statement some more. Um, we really feel so very strongly in the Lord to declare why God created this church, why this church exists, why God put us on the map. It wasn't because we were bored and we were looking for stuff to do. I had different plans all together. And so it is so important that we who call this place home, we who call this place family, we really have a firm, firm understanding why, why we're here. It's not just for Sunday mornings. It's not just for a, a, your experience. That's part of it. But God put New Covenant on the map for a purpose, for a reason. We have a mission. We have somewhere we are going while at the same time we are being something. And that is why we feel, and, and really we're in a season, I think, right now, where there's just this real grace on discovering, rediscovering who we are. Everyone should have an identity. We talk about that all the time. Who are you in Christ? Who are you in God? Your family should have an identity. We all have reputations. That's another way to look at it. What are you known for? What's your reputation? It's who we are. It's who we uh, are becoming. And so we're going to hit our mission statement. We're going to talk about it a lot. Because we really want to get down to what does it mean to be who God called us to be. And so today I'm going to revisit some things that Eric even spoke about last week. But before I do that... Um, I'd like to declare it. Amen? Amen. Yes. Why don't we stand up one more time? Get our mission statement up there on the board. Yeah. Just like in grade school, I pledge allegiance, right? <laughs> Go ahead and salute if you want or put your hand on your heart or I don't know, whatever you want to do. Ready? Here we go. Three, two, one. 
I will dock your pay. I know it's nothing, but then you'll owe me $10. Wow, let's burn through them. Of radical, passionate, aggressive lovers of God and people from the next generation who will love deeply, serve sacrificially, speak truthfully, live holy, and go globally in the supernatural power and presence of the Holy Spirit calling all people to confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. We are raising up. And those were the four words that Eric hit on. This is who we are. This is who we are becoming. At the same time, this is who we are, and this is who we're becoming. And last week, Eric emphasized the first four words. We are raising up. And I love those words. Those words declare that we are busy with our mission that God has given us. It's declaring action. I hope that all of you asked yourselves those questions from Eric's message last week. Because I'm going to talk about those questions a little more today. The first question he asked, he said, Are you called to be a member of this church? To be a member of this family? Now I want to look at a scripture. I want to look at Psalm 68. And verse 6. And it says this. It says, God sets the lonely in families. He leads forth the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. Everyone say amen. That's the word of God. So the question that we're putting to us, are we the family that God has set you in? Or are we just the best thing that you can find? Are you here because there aren't any better choices? Or are you here because God chose for you to be here? You see, if you and I, if we don't live with a sense that, that these are my people, that this is my tribe, if we don't live with that, that sense, we end up living in dryness. Dryness of relationship, dryness of encounter, dryness of purpose. Now, maybe God has set you in here, but you don't want to be here. It happens. Well, all I can say is um, send me a postcard from the desert because that's where the rebellious live, right? 
Wasn't that what it said? The rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. You see, it's God who decides your family, not you. I mean, anyone, did anyone here get to choose your biological parent? Anyone? Just to test two babies in the back, they got to choose their biological. No one gets to choose their parents. God makes that choice all by himself, and he never once asked you if you were okay, if you were born to these people. However, God did give us a free will. And every single one of us are free to choose whether we stay where God sets us. Or you can choose to do your own thing. We're going to love you no matter what. Either way. Because we want you in the family that God sets you in. Not just the best thing or the only thing that you could find. I can tolerate this place. There's no real churches I can enjoy like this one. So here I am. But it's God who sets us in families, both natural and spiritual. We either say yes to where he places us and experience the joy of being in the right place. Or we rebel and we live in dryness. Hopefully, as you've been talking with God this week, that you have, you feel that inner peace that says, I'm home. And if you have, allow me to say, welcome home. We've been waiting for you. We've been praying that you would find us. So once you decide, this is the family where God has placed you, Eric asked this other question. He said, he goes, what, what part of the body are you? You see, every single one of us has been given a gift from God. Every one of us has a part to play in this church body. And our goal at New Covenant is for every single person to discover their gift or gifts and then use that gift or gifts to serve the kingdom of heaven. That's our goal. You see, we are most effective when we play to our strengths and we minimize our weaknesses. And we are most fulfilled when we play to our strengths and to our gifts. That's where we feel like we're alive, right? Man, I remember in baseball, 
I, I, was, uh, I played pitcher, I played second base, I played third base, I played the whole outfield, but man, my spot was second base. I got that part of the field. I knew what I was supposed to do, who was covering the ball, what I did on every play. That's my spot. I could play third. I mean, catching a ball is catching a ball. Throwing a ball is throwing a ball. But second base, that was my spot. That's where I excelled on the team. Every one of us have to play to our strengths. We get fulfilled that way. It feels good. When you discover who you are, when you discover the gift that you are, you start to experience fulfillment in life. Now, I'm going to say something that I think we all really need to hear. And it's this. Statistically speaking, 97% of you have a primary ministry calling that is outside the four walls of this building. 97%. Your primary gift and call... To change the world for Jesus is outside of this building. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, we need an army of volunteers, you know, to do this thing called Sunday morning. All right? So, don't get me wrong. We need everyone helping. We need helpers, volunteers supporting our, our morning effort, as well as other ministries. But the ministries that 97% of you that are called to are outside of this church and in the community where you work, where you shop, where you go to school, where you play. I mean, really, if you think we're raising radical, passionate, aggressive lovers of God and people only to be radical, passionate, aggressive lover for two hours on a Sunday morning, you're crazy. It's easy to be awesome here. It's easy to walk in love, sometimes. It's easy to get my Jesus on when everybody else is trying to get their Jesus on. But what are you doing at work? Are you as awesome there as you are here? Or do you have a reputation? Are you known for something. Your identity at school is what? Because you're wrecking your ministry. You're wrecking it. If you don't have a reputation and an identity where you live, work, and go to school as a wholehearted lover of God and people. We're not raising up people so they can just sit here and be awesome for two hours. It's ridiculous. I mean, we'll be, we'll be failures. We will be failures of our mission, failures of our purpose for why God put this church on the map. If all we're calling you to is this. Show up for two hours or more. 
you have a part to play, and it's mostly out where everyone else is sick and dying and spiritually dead and naturally dying. So what is your part? I ask this question to myself. I ask this. I say, would Newcastle miss us if we closed the doors of this church? Would this city be worse if we left? Would anyone notice if we stopped doing whatever it is New Covenant does? Would anyone in the city notice? Sure, a handful of people would. But would it be a loss like we lamented when Chrysler left that day? Oh, God, our city's over. It's dead. Would we lament? Would anyone lament the leaving of New Covenant Worship Center? I know you all would if you're here. Of course you are. Talking about our mission and our purpose. I want the answer to all those questions to be a great big fat yes. Not for my ego, but because we're supposed to be a city on a hill. We're supposed to be light for the world and salt of the earth. So what part are you going to play? Will you be salt and light? Are you going to find your niche, your stream, your lane, and run your part of the race? Will you do it? What part of the body are you going to be? Did you know that every culture in the earth has what has been identified as seven spheres of influence or seven mountains of influence? Every culture has seven mountains, seven spheres of influence that shape that culture. And so this thing that we're doing right now, you know, this Sunday morning gig, this is all a part of the religion mountain or the church mountain. It's only one of seven influencing mountains. The other six are education, family, business, government, media, and entertainment. Statistically speaking, on average, only about 3% of the population is called to full-time ministry in the religion mountain. The rest of us are called to take what we learn at the religion mountain and influence the other six mountains for the glory of God. That's why we're raising up radical, passionate, aggressive lovers of God and people so we can change a world. So what is your part?
1 Corinthians chapter 12. Derek, hit this scripture. Verse 17, it says, If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Now, there it is again. What? What's there again? I'm going to tell you. We just read in Psalm 68 that God places us in a family, right? Now, in 1 Corinthians 12, God says that He has arranged the parts in the body just as He wanted them to be. Wow, there seems to be a pattern here. God places us in the family of His choice. Then He places us in the body of Christ just as He chooses. Is it starting to become clear that God has a master plan for your life? That he's thought out every detail. Where you're going to be born, when you're going to be born, who you'll be born to, where you're going to go to church, what spiritual family will you be connected to, and what part of the body that you're going to be. He's got it all figured out. It's not random. It's not luck. It's not popularity or good looks or incredible intelligence. God has a plan to prosper every single one of us. Isn't that what Jeremiah 29 says? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Verse 11. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me. With all your heart. Last week, Eric joked about basket weaving. You see, the, the reason why we don't need a basket weaving class at New Covenant is because the senior center needs it. So go there and spread the love of God, heal the sick, and share your passion for coiled or plating or uh, twining or wicker or split basketry. <laughs> Those are all forms of basket weaving. Coil deals with grasses. Plating deals with wide material like palm. Twinning deals with roots and barks. Wicker and splint, you use reed or cane or willow, oak or ash. That's why we don't need it here. The senior center does. There are tons of nursing homes that need you to be there healing the sick, raising the almost dead. I mean, let's, you know, let's set the bar a little lower. We'll get, you know, 
Let's turn some 70-year-olds into like they're 50 again. We'll work our way up to raising the dead. There's nothing wrong with that. So what part are you going to play in advancing the kingdom of heaven, advancing the mission of new covenant? What mountain of influence are you going to affect for the kingdom? Loving deeply isn't just for Sundays. Serving sacrificially isn't just for Sundays. Speaking truthfully and living holy are not just for Sundays. You have a mission within our mission. So what part are you going to fulfill here and out there? Eric asked the question also, if we wanted to know if you were raising up the next generation. And really what this question is asking is, are you willing to be a spiritual parent, a mentor, a coach, to someone younger than you? And I want you to know this isn't just a question for the 50-plus crowd. Although I want to ask you, will you? Will you be a spiritual mom and dad? But it's not just for you. See, everyone can be a spiritual mentor to someone younger. You don't have to be a Christian for 20 years before you can help someone else. See, I, I dedicated my life to the Lord when I was 19 years old. So after my first year of college. <clears throat> and when I did that, I immediately began sharing Jesus with every friend that I had. Everyone heard about heaven and hell and salvation in Jesus. I cut my evangelism teeth early. And many of them I got to lead to the Lord. And you know, part of that I would pick them up for church. I'd drive them to church. We're talking about Jesus and God all the time. And guess who they came to with all their questions about God and the Bible? Me. I was their spiritual daddy even though they were my age and some were even older. And I had not gone to Bible school. Isn't that weird? I didn't have the title pastor. I didn't even have a lot of answers. But one thing I did have was a passion for God and a passion for the Bible. And if I didn't know the answer to something... I'd go home and look it up. And if I couldn't find it, I'd ask some smarty pants who did. And I knew some really good smarty pantses who also loved the Bible. The fact is, every single one of you should be helping someone else come up high. 
First Thessalonians in chapter 5, verse 11 says this. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Now, he didn't write that to all the pastors in Thessalonica or the elders or the ministry leaders. Encourage each other, build each other up. Every one of us has a part to play in reaching and building this next generation. <clears throat> now, I want to go back to 1 Corinthians 12. And I want to look at something. Eric had mentioned how we were all an important part in the body. How we were all an important part of the mission of God. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul makes two, <clears throat> you don't have to bring it up yet, or you can leave it, it doesn't matter. But in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul, Paul brings up two very important distinctions that I feel we really, we really need to get a hold of in our thinking so that we can effectively be the part that God has chosen for you to be. All right, so now let's look at it again. 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 14. <clears throat> it says, Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. Now, jump down to verse 21. Paul says this, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Now, what Paul, the point that he's making is he is trying to convey this idea that every single one of us is valuable. And in making this point, he hits on two extreme tendencies that we have as weak human beings. The first one, the first point was in verses 14 through 16. He makes a point that we are not to view ourselves as less than. In other words, he is addressing the issue of inferiority. Everybody say inferiority. inferiority. He says the foot should not feel inferior to the hand. And he said the ear should not feel inferior to the eye. One of the worst problems that I see in people and myself is the issue of inferiority. We are constantly comparing ourselves to others who are more talented, good-looking, smart, gifted, whatever. And Paul expressly commands us not to entertain thoughts of inferiority. 
Yeah, someone else besides Eric say amen to that. And here's the beautiful truth in all of this. No matter what you think about yourself, you will always be who God made you to be. You cannot change the fact that God made you a great, big, glorious, beautiful person that you are. You can't. Now, you are free to have thoughts of inferiority, but you cannot change who God made you to be. You're awesome whether you like it or not. And just because you can't see the awesomeness doesn't make you any less awesome. All inferiority can do is make you ineffective. It can't make you who you are. It can only make you ineffective. It can't change who you are. You see, if, if God made you a foot, but you keep trying to be a hand, then we aren't going to go anywhere. But I don't want to be a foot. They're stinky. Yeah, they do stink and get dirty. But feet were meant for walking. And that's just what they do. <laughs> and one day, one day, one day these beautiful feet that are covered in the fabulous gospel of peace are going to walk all over the enemy. <laughs> Listen, ladies... I want you to know, Shoe Dazzle has nothing as fabulous as peace pumps. <laughs> hey, guys, listen, there are no sicker kicks than the good new shoes. <laughs> oh, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. <laughs> Isaiah 52, verse 7 says this. It says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Yeah. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 14 says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. If we have no feet, then where's the devil supposed to go? But if we have none, if you say, I don't want to be a stinky foot, Romans 16.20 says this, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Now, I bust through those real quick, but... But isn't it interesting that in all three verses about feet, each one was connected to peace? 
right? Isaiah was the proclamation of peace. Ephesians, the gospel of peace. Romans, the God of peace. And those are some weighty facets of the kingdom. And when we refuse to do our part, maybe to be the feet, we miss out. What else are we missing from the kingdom because we hold on to inferiority? Listen, you're who God made you to be, and you can never change that. But listen, we can also hold on to inferiority. But here's the thing. You cannot hold on to inferiority and live your awesomeness at the same time. You can't hold on to both. So listen, get deliverance from the demons of unworthiness. It's an issue here. We've been doing some spiritual mapping of this place, and the number one problem that came up is the issue of unworthiness, inferiority, inadequacy, self-hate, self-condemnation. It's time for deliverance. So we can start accomplishing the mission of God. We've got to get deliverance and then get filled up with the truth so you can walk your purpose. Now let's look at the other attitude that keeps us ineffective. In verse in, in Corinthians 12:21, Paul makes this distinction. He says, "The eye cannot say to the hand, "I don't need you." And the head cannot say to the feet, "I don't need you." Now, Paul is addressing a different attitude. Paul is now talking about an attitude of superiority. He's hit both ends of the spectrum when it comes to us getting busy with our stuff. Now he's hitting the attitude of superiority. And we all know that pride is an ugly spirit. Pride is an ugly attitude. And not only can pride keep us from valuing, valuing other people and their gifts, it can also have a devastating effect on the truth of the Bible, the truth that you receive. Now, the Bible's just like us. It's awesome whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not. It's awesome all by itself. God made it that way. But pride can get in the way of the Bible being awesome to me. And here's how this happens. Here's what I mean. Many of us have a favorite preacher, a favorite ministry, a favorite message. And when we fall in love with a specific doctrine or teaching message from the Bible, 
we tend to digest a lot of that message, that person's message or whatever. And when we eat a lot of something, our taste for other things starts to decay. For instance, I loved Mountain Dew. I drank cans of it every day. Glug, glug, glug. Then one day I discovered that I had some serious energy problems. <laughs> as well as some stomach problems. <laughs> and so I decided it might be time to get off the dew. Now, you know what I never had a craving for? Water. <laughs> never craved it. Why do you think that was? Well, it's because I never let water quench my thirst. I always went to the thirst quencher. I mean, really, that's what Mountain Dew's for, to quench my thirst, right? As well as my insatiable need for sugar and caffeine. It wasn't until I started drinking water more frequently that I realized how good water tasted and how well it actually quenched my thirst. Well, you know, we're the same way when it comes to different teachings and messages from different aspects of the gospel. See, we hear a message and it satisfies our need and we eat more of it and we start to think that this message this little slice of the gospel, this little tiny slice, can actually satisfy every need I have. We want pizza for every meal. Well, guess what? You're in spiritual pride. You have said in your heart, I have no need of you to the other truths of God's word. Now, I don't care where you hang your hat, whether it's the grace message or the prosperity message or the faith message or the signs and wonders message or the organic eating healthy message or the suffering for Christ message. I really don't care where you hang your hat. The fact is, is we cannot allow spiritual pride to dismiss the other parts of the gospel. We need the full revelation of Jesus to become mature. See, we've got to have faith, and we've got to have healing, and we've got to have suffering, and we have to have grace and prosperity and the prophetic and the evangelistic and the pastoral and the teaching and the apostolic truth to be fully mature people. And listen, I have watched person after person in this place reject the revelation of Jesus' teacher. I preached about it because it's such a problem. I've watched people not say, I reject Jesus the teacher. I've watched their actions say, that's not the Jesus I like. I have no need of Jesus, the teacher. Yeah. 
too hard to read and comprehend. It's too hard to study to show myself approved. We're walking in spiritual pride. And Paul says, stop it. Now, I know that he is specifically talking about people, but the principles still apply. Spiritual pride and superiority keeps us from honoring that which we sometimes need the most. I'll say that again. Spiritual pride and superiority keeps us from honoring that which we sometimes need the most. I needed water. I just never knew I needed it until I started my, making myself drink it. The same thing with vegetables. I hate vegetables. I don't like the taste of vegetables, but I eat them because I know I need them. Now, let's go back to Paul's original message concerning this attitude of superiority with people. See, if we reject certain people, guess what? We are headed for major trouble. Think about it. How many times have you said, I don't need Bill Johnson. I don't need David Platt. I don't need Dave Ramsey telling me what to do with my money. I don't need Joseph Prince or I don't need Kenneth Copeland. I don't need Joel Olstein. I don't need this inner healing sozo RTF nonsense. Listen, <laughs> I know that some of those people are extreme in their teaching and doctrine. And yeah, there's probably error in every one of them. But around here, we cannot say, I don't need you. I mean, who around here in this place have you said, I don't need them? Me, Eric, my wife, Alger, Mike, Sam. Who have you said, I don't, I don't need their influence. I don't want to know what they think about stuff. For you, to not, for you and I to walk in the kind of spiritual pride that says, I don't need them because I don't like what they say is asinine. Paul, his command is you cannot say, I have no need of you. You know, there are people throughout the history of the church who have literally taken out entire parts of the Bible because they think they have no need of it. Now, how many times have we worked with someone and we love how they do things? Oh, we love how they think. We love how they make us feel, you know. Oh, we, we just connect spiritually with those people so well. I can just hook up to heaven with this person so easy. Well, you know why? It's usually because they're another version of you. 
They're a hand just like you're a hand. Hi, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. Hey, I like you. I like you more. Well, you're awesome. No, you're awesome. You remind me of me. You remind me of me. <laughs> For those of you who are listening on the podcast, I was using hand puppets to talk to themselves, and then they kissed. And listen, there's nothing wrong with that, okay? Amen. Nothing wrong with it. Amen. Nothing wrong with being with birds of a feather who flock together. We need that. But now, now think about all the people who rub you the wrong way and think differently than you. Go to your job. Just get in your head for just three seconds. Where your real ministry is, by the way. As we all nervous laughed. <laughs> no one likes me at my work. <laughs> That's a problem. Now think about that. Think about how many times your pride has caused you to say in your heart, I really don't want or need that person working with me. Oh, I'm guilty. For the church to become fully mature, we need the full measure of each and every person's gift coming forth. Every part doing its part. So I ask you, are you with us? Are you all in? And I'm not asking, are you ready to get your gift on? I'm asking, are you connected with us? Are you submitted to the mission of this house and its leadership? Are you going to go with us? Are you going to be a part of the we and we are raising up the next generation? Everybody just close your eyes for a moment, if you would. I'm just, I'm finishing up. But I just want you to have a moment with the Holy Spirit. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, am I all in? Just close your eyes, ask the Holy Spirit, am I all in? Am I submitted to the mission of this church and its leaders? Am I connected, serving, and supporting this church spiritually, relationally, even financially? Holy Spirit, Reveal to me where I need to repent and make a greater commitment to the call of God on my life and my part to play in the body of Christ. Just 
asking those questions. Holy Spirit, come. Speak to our hearts. Show us where we need to repent for being inferior, for being superior. Come have your way, God. Thank you, God, for conviction. Thank you for restoration, Lord. There's some of you in here who put your call on the shelf. I want you to know God's awaking that right now. Say yes to that. God's restoring hope. God's awakening hearts right now. I see fire starting to flicker in some hearts that have been cold. And I see fire in, in the hearts that were warm starting to blaze. Thank you. is a new season that's coming upon us. It is a season of increase. It is a season of expansion. It is a season of fruitfulness. And I repeat again, no one lagging behind. No one lagging behind. There is a move coming to our school system. There is a moving coming to ev- a move coming to every church. God is going to visit this city. It's time to get ready, get ready, get ready. Father, we thank you for honoring us with the special uniqueness that you've made every one of us to be thank you God that we are all awesomeness in Jesus just waiting to happen so today Father I ask for a release a release of those things God now in the name of Jesus come Holy Spirit awaken hearts awaken gifts awaken anointings We have a great work ahead of us, God, and you know better than any of us. So I repent, God, for my attitudes of inferiority. I repent for my attitudes of superiority. Forgive me, God. Thank you, Father, for love and for your presence. And as we go to the real mission field, our real calling, 
go with us, Father. If your presence doesn't go with us, God, we're not going. So walk with us, God. Help us to be ever mindful that you are with us. Help us to turn our hearts to you today and every day this week to acknowledge you are there with us, God. Father, we thank you. We love you. We worship you today for all that you are and for all that you've done. We give you praise in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen. Go and be awesome. In Jesus' name.